Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Forever Saturday podcast, because it is always college football Saturday in our house. I'm Serena, better known as S. George at R on Twitter. And I'm Matt, also at Matt Swartz 723 Apologize in advance if you can hear our dishwasher in the background. Or if it sounds like we're in a war zone because we're uh, in the middle of the Chicago airs, uh, air show flyover territory. The Blue so. Angels have been terrorizing me for three days. Yeah, it's pretty uh, It's pretty wild. They will not stop. I like They're just flying over my... I feel like I'm being targeted by a secret mission. They keep flying over our house. Uh, so yeah, you might hear a little bit of uh, background noise. We're going to do our we'll, best. We'll make it work. This is super professional, as you know. Always. Right. This is obviously our number one. Oh, here they go. They're literally <laughs> zooming by as we speak. So if you hear them, sorry, I blame the Air Force or something. <laughs> Is it the Air Force, the Blue Angels? Are they the Air Force? I don't know, actually. They might not be. Well, blame the military. I don't know. Whatever. They're, they're flying over my house right now. It's the Navy. It's the Navy. Okay. We have the Navy to blame. Fucking Navy. God, killing us all. Go Army. <laughs> <laughs> Go Army. All right. And it's a college football podcast, so that was the appropriate segue. Um, I think we're going to start by just kind of touching on really briefly the Big Ten media rights situation before we preview the defense, which is the kind of the overall point of, of today's episode. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen the reports going around that the uh, Big Ten finalized its media rights deal with a combination of Fox, CBS, and NBC. Um, so it's going to be going forward Fox with the big noon kickoff, CBS with the afternoon slot with the Big Ten replacing the SEC. And then NBC with the night game. So it's going to be kind of spread across three of the four major networks. And Big Ten's bringing in uh, $8 billion from that deal over the course of the next seven years. So Sounds like a lot. Pretty healthy payouts all around. Yes. Rutgers really earned it. <laughs> yeah. Rutgers, Maryland, they, they put in the work. They really did. What yeah, would we could, do? Could just see the payoff. <laughs> Actually, low-key, you saw that story that they were in like a $73 million deficit, and people were complaining that their football team ordered like almost half a million dollars worth of DoorDash in a year. Yeah, apparently they were able to expense it to the university, which honestly- Which was a COVID thing. Like, I think the dining halls might have been closed, or there was some sort of COVID-related closure that led for them to be able to expense their DoorDash, but they could expense their DoorDash. Yeah, and they ended up expensing about four hundred fifty thousand dollars. What would you order if you could order half a million dollars worth of DoorDash in a year? Just half a million dollars worth of Taco Bell, I guess. Taco Bell, that's <laughs> your choice. I guess DoorDash, you can. Kind you can of, get anything. That, you don't have true. to get Taco Bell. That's true. You don't have to get like fast food. That was you can kind get of the first like thing sushi. Mind, but. You can get like steaks. Yeah. We got a lot of steak houses in this town. You order RPM. That's true. true. RPM is a good choice. Yeah, there's like Taco Bell. <laughs> Come on. Look, I'm basic. You give me, you know, a quarter million of Taco Bell and a quarter million of Domino's, and I'm going to be happy. Fair enough. A simple man. That's right. All right. So here's another question. Then, if you had eight billion dollars, what's the dumbest possible use of it? NF Tuck. NF Tuck. A million times over. I need the Mel Tucker NFTs. Which one specifically? Specifically the Peach Bowl ring that has a score to an entirely different game than the Peach Bowl on it. <laughs> you mean the Michigan game? Correct. Obviously. Because it's the only, literally it's the, the only, only thing game that matters. That matters. Like, I, I just don't understand. Like, you need to buy an NFT with the score of the Michigan game on it. These fuckers are like three seconds away from having that score tattooed on their own goddamn foreheads. And they're like, I need an NFT of a ring with the score. Are you sure they haven't done it already? I haven't seen a picture from camp. I haven't visited any tattoo parlors in East Lansing recently to ask questions. However, seems possible. Right. That's uh, first of all, it's extremely dumb. NF tuck really dumb. Secondly, yeah, the the crypto market's killing it. So I assume that the value of that is only going to skyrocket from here. Exactly. (laughs) I'm like clowning. Mel Tucker launched an NFT for charity. But, like, just donate the money to charity. You have, like, $99 million contract, you weirdo. Stop it. Instead of, like, selling something to Michigan State fans that then goes to charity. Just donate the money to charity. I don't understand this as a general behavior. Just wanted to have one more product that they could throw the score of the Michigan game onto. I think that's right. They're about to get that painted onto the side of Spartan Stadium. (laughs) It's just going to be there, like 37-33, and it's going to be be there forever. Like the halo we had on Michigan Stadium. Oh, dear (laughs) God. I I never actually saw the halo on Michigan Stadium. I've only ever seen photos of the halo on Michigan Stadium. That was before my time. But there was still a split block M on Michigan Stadium when I started there as a freshman. Like in 2009, they still had the split M. They don't have that anymore, obviously. 
difference in this situation would be if they did that, the Michigan State people would love it, regardless of how tacky it looked, because everything about that school slash program is tacky. So True. Just <laughs> You're tacky and I hate you. I think uh, what immediately came to mind here was that I could buy like some franchises. And so I looked this up and I'd have just enough to buy both the Lions and the Knicks. So if I wanted to pick the two loserest oh, franchise no. in pro sports. Oh, no. the poor Lions. <laughs> Our poor Aiden Hutchinson. Unlike the NFTs, the uh, the value of those only seems to keep going up for no particular reason. So from an investment standpoint, it'd probably be fine. But from a, you know experiential standpoint... Honestly, that would be an money. upgrade for the Knicks. I feel like you would be a much better sports owner just as a strategic brain than like 65% of sports owners. Like, come on. These people are idiots. How smart is Jerry Jones actually? Like, how smart do you actually <laughs> right. think Jerry Jones because is? Because I would actually try to win and make sure that I hired people who knew how to win. Like, it's a pretty low bar. These honestly, owners, so. like, from time to time, I'm like, oh, you're like dumb. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? Right. <laughs> like... That covers like, yeah, probably two thirds of. Or you don't know how to get out of your own way, which in my view is, is an extension of being dumb. Right. Because like, you're just behaving in a dumb way, regardless of your intellect, because you can't, you're egotistical. Yeah. And that to me makes you dumb. Like if you're going to behave that way, you're dumb. Honestly, your, your investment doesn't seem that dumb. You would make money on that. Sports franchises. That's not dumb. I feel like it's dumb (laughs) if you just blow the money, which is what the tact I took. You would make money on that investment. I would make money. Financially, it'd be smart. From an experience standpoint, picking the two Nah, you didn't buy the Sacramento Kings, dog. How (laughs) did you miss the Sacramento Kings? Uh, Sacramento Kings aren't even interesting, though. You gotta find somebody who's interesting who has hope. Although I did pick the Lions, so uh, maybe I... Kind of blew it on that one. Listen, if anybody can make me a Lions believer, it's Aiden Hutchinson. So he made me a Michigan believer That's for maybe fair. the first time in my experience as a fan. So I'm not going to doubt Hutch. I'm going to put a lot of stock into that, I think. I guess that's a good segue to uh, the defense. Yes, replacing that guy is going to suck. That's the takeaway, right? Yeah. We're going to preview the defense here, and we'll kind of do it the same way we did with the offense. Um, If you haven't heard that episode yet, that's a whole separate thing. We actually had the quarterbacks first, then the rest of the offense, and now we're going to talk about the defense. And obviously the big question there is defensive ends slash edge guys. And after losing Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo, that's, uh, that's a pretty big hole. Yeah, I think this preview is going to be a little different from the offense in that regard because the offense didn't really have question marks in that way. It wasn't question marks that were actual areas of concern. The question marks on the offense were more a curiosity. It was yeah, more, more like, okay, you know, is JJ going to do enough to overtake the job? But as we know, the floor is very high with Cade regardless. How are they going to spread the ball around their just like litany of weapons? Like those aren't real questions. They're curiosities They're more so holes. than they are questions about what that is going to look like. The defense has a lot more questions. And so the number one being end, they have to replace 25 sacks which is just absolutely an astronomical number. Just from those two guys. I actually think a couple more sacks graduated too. Like Ross might have had a couple and and some of the guys, like linebackers or whatever. But, I mean, they have to replace 25 kind of organic defensive end sacks. And that is a tall order. It is, yeah. I mean, that's, I think, by far the biggest question on this defense. Um, So I, I guess we'll start there. We do know a little bit from this offseason. We know Mike Morris has kind of ascended into a clear starter at one of the end spots. And Morris was pretty good last year. He doesn't have the speed rush ability, the ability to kind of get around the edge that we saw from Ojabo and and also from Hutchinson. I mean, Hutchinson could do everything. So (laughs) Morris is, I think, a pretty good all-around player. He can bull rush. He can, you know, he has a little bit of creativity, I think, in getting into the pocket and creating some pressure. He's also good against the run. And it seems like he's gotten the kind of hype this offseason where everybody knows he's taken a little bit of a leap and he's being looked at as kind of a, a leader at that spot. So one of the two spots, I think, is pretty clearly solidified for Mike Morris. The big question is the other one. And you've got probably five or six guys there, maybe, who could end up playing in some capacity. Yeah, and this is very much a if you have five or six guys, you don't have one. <laughs> that's probably true. Situation, <laughs> And that's, I think, the fear. 
Yeah, I mean, we've seen a decent amount so far of Taylor Upshaw and Jalen Harrell, who seem to be the leaders in the clubhouse there. The problem is that neither one of them has really shown anything in the way of pass rush, which, you know, on one hand, okay, you've got a a solid run defender there. You know that it's not going to be a a true quote-unquote weak spot. But in terms of rushing the passer, neither one of those guys is going to give you that. And so if you're thinking about more kind of standard down situations or, um, you know, third down, passing down situations – how are you going to get pressure from the edge? It's not going to be from those guys. And that's where you start to look at what does the rest of the depth chart slash rotation look like. And you've got, I think, a few options there. You've got Braden McGregor as a guy we've been hoping to hear more out of the last year or so. Um, came in with the Aiden Hutchinson pedigree, you know, top 100 recruit who suffered a pretty bad injury his senior year in high school. And it kind of seems like he's never really come all the way back from that. We've heard a little bit about him this offseason, but not much in the way of kind of really ascending into a regular I mean, his name is usually just rattled off with a bunch of other guys who are taking snaps in that role. You're not really hearing anything about him taking the step forward that would be necessary to kind of seize that spot. Right. TJ Guy, we saw him flash a little bit at times last year in pass rushing situations where he did show, I think, more of that potential he was also a kind of lower tier recruit coming in and hasn't really gotten enough playing time to be able to see what else he can do outside of kind of garbage time pure pass rush situations so I don't know that you're going to see him a lot but I wouldn't be surprised if he's a guy who early in the year is getting chances to just get out there in those you know third and longs and say go after the quarterback and I think the same is probably true with Derek Moore um, who keep in mind was the second highest rated recruit they have coming in after Will Johnson, who was just outside of the five-star range. Um, they took him away from Oklahoma late in the cycle after Lincoln Riley left. He is another, you know, really athletic guy who I think they have to be looking at and saying, if we're trying to generate pass rush and we kind of know what we're going to get from Taylor Upshaw and Jalen Harrell, and it's not going to be enough in that regard, more I think is probably going to get some opportunities. And even if it's just, again, those kind of rotational spots where – you're not going to ask him to be holding up against, um, you know, interior offensive linemen in the run game or anything like that. You're saying just go out and rush the quarterback. That's a much more simplified thing that a freshman can probably do okay at if he is if he kind of has the athletic profile that Derek Moore has. And I mean, there are there is some buzz around Moore as a guy who like will definitely be playing all year long. And yeah. so, you know, on the one hand, that's probably a good thing. On the other hand, that does make it seem like that spot is in dire need. And that was also the reaction I had when I found out the news that we got a couple days ago that um, Eobianoma, I hope I'm pronouncing that remotely close to correctly. I think that's right. Um, transferred into the program after brief stints at Houston and Alabama, both of which he was kicked out of. And then he landed at Tennessee Martin. Yeah, that's right. So he was a five-star, like very, very high five-star. Like a Jabril Peppers bona fide five-star. Who went to Bama as, you know, five-star. As five-stars do. do. Yeah, that's the way. (laughs) And uh, he played a little bit as a freshman, got kicked out for reasons that are unclear, transferred to Houston, got kicked out of there without ever playing again for reasons that were kind of unclear, ended up at Tennessee Martin in the FCS, played... Over the past two years there, and was good, but not great. Um, I've seen a little bit of the film of him going around on Twitter, and you can kind of see the glimpses of a guy who has a wildly fast first step and is you know big and strong. He kind of looks like the guy that you would expect him to look like from a purely physical point of view. But you can also see that he just hasn't played that much real football, and so there's probably going to be a pretty He's big, underdeveloped. Right. There's probably going to be a pretty big um, learning curve in that regard. So I don't think that he is somebody who you can really count on, especially early in the year. You know, maybe you kind of get a, an Ojabo-like progression for him as someone who just has the skill but needs to have it put together. Uh, and when I say Ojabo-like, I'm not saying that he's going to end up as a first-round pick, but just something similar in the sense that Ojabo was a guy who never really played, and then as he kind of started to put the pieces together, he got Yeah, I mean, they were very much along. rotating Ojabo's spot at the beginning of last year, yeah, and then he became the David Ojabo. Right. The Ojabo we knew by the end of the season. Right, and I would think that that's maybe what they're thinking the kind of upside is for Anoma, 
whether they actually get that, uh, that's you know a lot to ask for. But Upside in terms of trajectory moving forward, not that anybody thinks he will be exactly. as good as David Ojabo, just that he might have the same kind of come on late part in the more critical part of the season, right? Right. They've obviously got some time early on when they can figure some of this stuff out and rotate the same way they did early last year and kind of figure out what do we have here, how can we optimally put these pieces together in the right situations or you know does somebody kind of take a step forward and maybe shows some pass rush that they haven't previously and takes more of a solid hold on that position um, but Anoma I think is a guy who probably will have opportunities um, it's just very uncertain what we're going to get out of him but I do think it's a pretty low risk move I mean worst case scenario is you try him out a little bit he doesn't show anything kind of above what he was at the FCS level and when you translate that to the Big Ten, that's probably not super effective. So if that's what you end up with, then, okay, you took a shot at him, you didn't really add anything, and you're left with exactly what you had a few days ago, which is, again, the kind of hodgepodge of guys where some of them are pretty good run defenders, some of them are you know, maybe better pass rushers, but haven't really shown uh, the all-around ability that like Taylor Upshaw and Jalen Harrell have. So it's a, it's a wild card. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's right. And I think this is the spot that we have another spot that we have some concerns about on the defense. But I think this is the one that for us is the most critical only because we know how much having those two edge rushers bought the rest of the defense leeway. Like you only had to hold up in coverage for like two to three seconds before Ojabo or Hutchinson got home because they were just going to if, you know, that you couldn't hold them off for that long. They were too good. And so I I just, it made everything a lot easier. I think on the secondary in particular, like the back five, basically, not really the back seven necessarily, but like the back five. To some extent the back seven, because it, I mean, it did so much. You're right that when you can basically have everybody outside your defensive line dropping into coverage consistently and know that just organically your defensive ends are going to get there in three seconds. And even if they don't get there, they're going to be creating disruptive in the pocket. They're disruptive no matter what. It just makes everything so much easier with what you can do collectively as a defense. And so knowing that that is not really going to be there this year, um, I think we're going to come back to this and talk a little bit about, you know, how do you kind of fix that or work around it or do something to (laughs) account for that? Well, yeah, they have to manufacture it somehow because it's not going to happen organically. And the question is, how are they going to manufacture it? And I think that's what we'll kind of touch on later. But yeah, yeah, we'll circle back to that with a couple of more general kind of overarching questions. Yeah, we did the same thing with the offense. Yeah, just overarching questions. But you want to talk interior line now? Yeah, yeah, let's talk about, uh, I mean, might as well start with Mozzie Smith. The number one athletic freak on Bruce Feldman's list. And yeah, if you've seen those videos, it's pretty hard to argue. I mean, there's no way a guy that size should be able to move the way Mozzie Smith moves. Yeah, I don't get it. You know, I get that I'm old, like I'm I'm not a 20-year-old college student or 21 or however old he is. But like I like if I stand for like four to six hours, like if I'm out at like a festival or like a whatever, I stand for like four to six hours. I come home and I'm like, oh, wow, my lower back. I want to die. And (laughs) I like I don't understand how these people move like this. I like fundamentally do not get it. Like I am at the point where my body can no longer handle standing for prolonged periods. Like, how is this a thing? Yeah, I mean, some of these guys are on just a whole different level, and Mozzie Smith definitely falls into that category. I will say that for a guy who can do some of the things that he can do, I'm still not counting on him to give you much in the way of pass rush. He's never really shown that, and I don't really expect that we're going to see kind of a a transformation from him as a senior. He is very much a a run-plugger, but he's also a guy who, because he is so strong and moves pretty well, he can very consistently absorb multiple blockers get a little bit of a push to kind of just collapse everything that you're trying to do and so that's I think really what he is going to give you and that's I don't want to sell it short I mean I think he might be I thought about this for a little while and he might be the best player on the defense I think it's probably between him and DJ Turner we can talk about more when we get to the the secondary but I do expect kind of a first-team All-Big Ten level performance from him. I think he's just a little bit more of a true nose tackle, the kind Michigan hasn't really had that many of in recent years. And so sometimes the stats and the overall impact um, don't quite correspond with each other just because of the nature of that position and what he does. Definitely. And then 
you know, the opposite side at like three technique, we're going to see Chris Jenkins, I think. Yeah, it sounds like he's pretty well solidified that spot. Um, we haven't heard a ton about him this offseason, but I think that might be kind of he's solid. We know he's going to be the starter, and there's not really that much to talk about. Right. I mean, we haven't heard a ton of, like, Blake Corum hype this offseason, too, and I think right. that's because we just he's like a known commodity. Yeah, and Jenkins obviously wasn't, uh, wasn't quite Blake Corum last year, but he did show a lot of promise, I think, playing behind Chris Hinton and Hinton leaving remains kind of weird. I mean, he, I did not understand that to go undrafted. Right. Like, why? I don't get it. And it that wasn't was like it was a shock that me. he went undrafted. I mean, when he left, it was like, ooh, he's maybe a late round pick, but that just feels weird because he didn't really ever have the breakout year that we thought Chris Hinton maybe could as the level of recruit that he came in at. Right. Um, he was like a bona fide five star too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And never quite played up to it. And because so I, think... I remember that was like in the, the doldrums of defensive tackle recruiting, and we were yeah. just absolutely thrilled to have pulled a recruit that was that highly rated on the interior. Right. Um, but, yeah, he never really – he was good. I, like, no one's going to yeah, say he, he into wasn't like good. He an was above-average yeah. starting defensive tackle last year. Um, but I, I think Jenkins, from what we saw of him – I basically expect that position to be about equal to what it was last year. The one thing I will say about Jenkins is I think he's got a little bit more in the way of like first step athleticism and ability to push and create interior pressure in the way that Hinton, I don't think we ever really saw that from him. It seemed like he had the potential to do it, but just never actually put it together. And Jenkins, I think we've seen that a little bit more of in glimpses. So I think the, floor there is something that's not quite as good as Hinton but still fine and the upside there is something that's probably a little bit better than Hinton but maybe more impactful in the sense that what we're not getting in pass rush from the edges relative to last year we might be able to get more of on the interior and help to offset some of that yeah and I mean even behind those guys the depth at defensive tackle is looking pretty good for the first time in a long time I kind of feel like in some ways it flip-flopped with defensive end there it felt like for a while Michigan was a defensive end factory I mean people were talking about it as pass rush you I mean how many right like top three round defensive ends has Michigan had in the last a six lot. or seven years maybe a dozen a lot <laughs> 10 plus and yeah. so it's like it feels like those have flip-flopped a little. We're not seeing a ton from the ends right now, but the tackles seem much more solid because two of the most hyped freshmen that we're hearing about are both at the defensive tackle position, Mason Graham, Kenneth Grant. Grant, who everybody kind of has come to the consensus, is Harbaugh's God's gift to football or gift from the football yeah, gods the football or whatever gods. he said. That's quite a compliment, honestly. Yeah, he also landed on Feldman's freaks list. Yeah, that's so, right. like, I think all of the context clues have led people to come to the conclusion that it's probably Kenneth Grant who he was talking about. Yeah, I mean, a guy who weighs close to 350 and can run a sub five second 40, that's a freak. And that, that's the kind of thing where. When that you, is so stupid. Like, when you look at Georgia's defense last year, a guy like Jordan Davis, who also was not a super highly rated recruit, just because with guys like that, you don't really know how they're body is going to kind of shake time out. Jordan Davis ran down Blake Corum? Yeah. I was like, mm-mm, nope, this is not going <laughs> to go well, folks. <laughs> I was like, this man is 400 pounds. Like, I don't know if he's actually 400 he's like pounds. like 360. But he is large. And he just ran down, like, I don't know, maybe like the fourth fastest player on our team. I was like, this right. is a no. I don't like this at all. That's, I would like to have one of those. Right, that would right. be good. Yeah. They're not going to be good this year, most likely. Although we did see Mason Graham a decent amount on the Freshman spring. Freshman defensive and, tackles are usually bad. Right. That's just a position that requires a lot of, like, n- not just strength that you develop in a college program, but also, like, fundamental strength and the way that you use your body to just not get yourself technique. blown out of position by guys who are also 330 pounds and have all the technique. <laughs> So I don't expect that you're going to see a lot of those guys this year. Probably some Mason Graham, since it sounds like he's a little more ready. Um, we saw him in the spring game kind of holding his own. So I think you'll see him on the field a decent amount. Ahead of those guys, I think you'll see more Rayshon Benny. Um, that's another guy who I think has gotten a little bit overlooked with the freshmen coming in and all the hype they've gotten. But keep in mind how highly rated he was last year. And now going into his sophomore year, I think he's probably the kind of main rotational piece yeah, for sure. I mean, Michigan State was very mad to have lost out on Rayshon Benny as a recruit. Their fans were not pleased, which Aww. means I was very pleased. Right. Um, that was also true of Andrell Anthony, who we talked about a lot last week. I remember kind of those recruiting sagas as they played out. 
being that way. But yeah, Benny has gotten a lot of hype. I think, again, overlooked just because the freshmen have gotten so much hype over just their physical ability in a way that I'm not sure Benny has gotten. But Benny's getting buzzed too. Like I said, I feel like the depth situation between ends and tackles is totally flip-flop from what I'm accustomed to. Yeah. Um, I don't know that we want to see, other than Benny, who it sounds like is probably ready for um, like rotational, rotational time. duty this year. I don't think you want to see anybody else at those spots this year. And, and no, frankly, I don't want to see them anytime except mop-up duty. Right. Yeah. When I say you don't want to see them, I mean you don't want to see them in like competitive like snaps pressed into yes. yeah, like a major role due to injury or something of that nature. Um, especially at the nose spot, Benny's not really a nose. He's probably more of the three technique like Jenkins. So the backup situation at nose is probably a little bit dicey this year. They did bring in Cam Good from UCF who I think is kind of a, a tweener, but could get by at nose. He was a, I think, solid player at UCF. Again, not anybody they were expecting to really ascend and be anything more than like a, a quality backup, but having that option there is Yeah, nice. I mean, Graham and Grant are both nose, right? They're both nose-sized. I think Graham is also kind of in between. I think he's a little, a little bit of a more of a, okay. yeah, maybe more Glasgow type, where I think Glasgow kind of played the nose because he was so weirdly strong as like a former wrestler. I think Graham is a little bit like that. Okay, that's fair. So yeah, if you're talking about backups at nose, you've got a tweener and slash or a freshman who might also be a tweener and or another true freshman who actually has the size. And that's not great. We don't love that. But yeah, it's just so not we got to hope experience. for a very, very healthy Mozzie Smith all year. Right. Healthy Mozzie Smith, hopefully healthy Chris Jenkins as well, and then Rashawn Benny starts to I mean, healthy everyone, like right. obviously. This is, you know. Yeah, but this is a position, I think, where you have a, a little bit less flexibility in terms of if somebody goes down. Um, there is depth there, but it's depth that is more developmental. You don't want it to be pressed into significant duty this year because I expect that would get pretty rough for There is a spot where the depth is worse. That is true. You want to talk about linebacker? <laughs> Guys, it could be dicey at linebacker. It could be. I mean, I think the starting situation, I would say, I feel okay about. Like, Junior Colson is probably going to Is perhaps have... the most hyped player on the defense. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because he was not very good last year. He started basically the whole year as a true freshman, and he was kind of what you would expect from a true freshman linebacker in terms of didn't really know what he was doing, and I think that carried over through most of the year, even if it got marginally better late in the season. But even through the Georgia game, you were still seeing him doing a lot of stuff where it was like, oh, this is kind of not ideal. He'd like to see a little bit more progress. Yeah, I mean, and we were talking about this a little bit yesterday, and, and you pointed out, I think, that it was that problem with the linebackers that was probably the the thing that made the Nebraska game close and what and probably the lost game. the Michigan State game was... Yeah. Just too many busted fills from linebackers where they were able to break a lot of big plays, even the... Like, they weren't really doing a lot to create it. It was more, I think, mistakes on Michigan's second level than it was anything extraordinary that Michigan State was doing. So that was frustrating. And and I think that's, I guess, the big question is, has Colson taken that step forward? All the talk from the offseason so far has been, yeah, he has. He looks like he's going to be a fantastic, maybe all-American player that's apparently getting thrown around, which that's is exciting. Bold. That is <laughs> bold. Very bold. I would think that it's more realistic to expect that he takes a step forward to like pretty good starter. I'd be thrilled with like a second team all Big Ten oh, yeah. type yeah. of performance. Right. I mean, he does have that skill. He's not Devin Bush in the way where no he is one's so Devin athletic. Bush. Right. Devin Bush, even early in his career, could make a lot of wrong decisions right. By just being fast. Right. By just being an unbelievable athlete and being able to make up for any deficiencies in decision-making or instincts. He was also very instinctual. There's so. a play that was circulating, like, that was him, I think against maybe Nebraska. I can't remember, but it was back in, like, Devin Bush's tenure where he starts the play by making, like, one step in the wrong direction and then manages to still, like, burst to the sideline and bring the guy down basically, like, at the line of scrimmage. I remember the one you're talking about. I think it was against Nebraska. That's what sticks in my brain, but I'm not sure if that's right. He was unbelievable. Yeah, and Colson isn't quite that level of athlete, Linebacker, but he's good. too, is one of these positions where I feel like the learning curve is extraordinarily steep. It is. And that's a very Especially because, I mean, less so... Actually, in the Big Ten, a lot, because we have so many run-heavy offenses. But, like, you know, 
Harbaugh's like the CEO of screwing with linebackers. Right. Right? Like, and there are a lot of run schemes that do that. The Big Ten probably has more of them than most conferences because we play football like it's 1986, <laughs> unless you're in Columbus. So, like, on the one hand, you, you can imagine how it takes longer to come up to speed at linebacker. But on the other hand, you know, if you're playing against an offense that is probably top-notch at fucking with linebackers, you probably pick up some stuff in more time in that system. So yeah. we're hopeful that Colson has actually taken the step forward that people are claiming that he has. And if he has, that would be really lovely. Right. I mean, we've lost Josh Ross, obviously, which... Um you know, Josh Ross was, he, he had his strengths and weaknesses. He was very good. He I had my favorite a, play in the Ohio State game. He did, that's right. The the stuff of Trevion Henderson on third down coming out of the half, right? On yep. the third and two. Yeah, I think it might have even been third and one. It was short. Yeah, but. third and one, third and two. Definitely short yardage where they went under center and Ross came through um, right in the inside. Like a and, fucking missile. Yep. It was the best because I absolutely, like, it was a no-brainer to me that they were picking up that first down and we're going to continue the drive. And then Josh Ross was like, nah. And, and just I to tie that back it. to what we were talking about before, I will say I think that was as much a Josh Ross play or as much a Mozzie Smith play as it was a Josh Ross play because Mozzie Smith took a step and completely absorbed both the center and the guard, which is what allowed Josh Ross to come through unimpeded because the guard couldn't get out to make the block that he was supposed to get. So, we love that. Um, good for you, Mozzie. Yeah, good for Mozzie Smith. But yeah, anyway, Colson is another like just big kind of wild card slash X factor to choose a cliche here where it's just you've seen him and you know that there's a lot of upside to explore there, but it was just so kind of inconsistent last year that it's really hard to know exactly what you're going to get. But it could be good. Um, at the very least, I think given what you were just talking about with linebacker and how hard it is to learn and just figure out all the different things that lines and coordinators are doing to fuck with you. He probably has learned some and will be better. It's just a matter of, of how much better. And there's a lot of range there, I think, between ceiling and floor for him. Yeah, I agree. Um, and at the other spot, I mean, it's presumptively Nakai Hill-Green, right? Yeah, and Hill-Green, I think, was actually probably a little bit better than Colson last year, but it sounds like Colson has taken a significant step forward in a way where he's got one starting spot pretty well locked down. Hill Green, I think, is probably the default starter at the other spot, but it might be a competition with Michael Barrett. We've heard a little bit more about him coming back into into the picture than we heard last year. So I, I think it's probably Hill Green, and he also, I mean, given that he was at least on par or maybe a little bit better than Colson last year, if he kind of takes a step forward, even though he's not, I think, the level of athlete that Colson is, you would, again, expect that that position is probably going to be at least fine. And then I just mentioned Michael Barrett, so we can talk about him a little bit. I think he was kind of phased out of the defense last year with what they were doing early. And then given that he kind of was more vipery in the Don Brown defense, more of a hybrid outside linebacker safety, later in the year when we started seeing more of the spread-type teams that we played, like Indiana and Ohio State, obviously, he got a little bit more run. And it sounds like this year he's tried to bulk up a little bit to be more of a true inside linebacker. So I'm not sure what to expect from him either. My guess is that he will be kind of the rotational guy at either spot. And then we'll get some situational duty against more in the way of spread teams when we want to have a guy out there who's a little bit more capable of, of coverage slash linebackering. Linebackering, huh? <laughs> yeah, linebackering. That's definitely a real word. But I expect that it'll be Colson as the number one guy and then... Hill Green as as number two in the default you know two linebacker setup that they're going to use most of the time since Nicholas kind of the standard package now. Yeah, the thing about that is after those guys, that cupboard is scary. Yeah, I mean you have three guys really for two and a half spots, I guess, <laughs> and after that you've got really nothing in terms of players we've heard any meaningful talk about yeah, some young I guys mean, like Kalal Mullings and Joey Velasquez, noted baseball player Joey Velasquez. Right. Joey Velasquez is dead ass a baseball player. Khalil Mullings has been mostly I get playing he's running young, back. but he's been mostly playing running back. People are talking about him more as someone who might be able to do the Haskins thing. Like not right, more really of in the Haskins way, back. but like an interior power back, short yardage back. Um, so that's not great. Like, that is the thinnest, the razor thinnest, I think, spot on the team, period. Agreed. Yeah, that's the one spot where I think if there were an injury and Michael Barrett is probably not optimally built to play an inside linebacker spot anyway, even if he's kind of competing there, 
if you were to lose one of those two, like uh, Colson or um, or Nikai Hill Green, who apparently has been a little dinged up in fall camp, but it doesn't sound like anything serious. If you lost one of those guys for an extended period of time, you'd be in a really dicey situation where you'd be playing Michael Barrett probably slightly out of position, and then you'd have absolutely nothing behind that, and you'd really have to, I think, get creative with your packages to, to make that work. So um, knocking on wood here, literally. Um, that there's no injuries there because, like you said, that's even thinner than defensive tackle in the sense that, you know, at least at defensive tackle, we've heard a little bit about Rayshon Benny and Mason Graham, and some of those guys can probably fill in and you can get by for a little while. But linebacker, I'm not sure that's true. So, Yeah, I think we haven't really heard about anybody who is behind those guys at all, like right. making an impact in practice or any of those. Even the, like, coach speak – quotes you get generally about a position group or whatever like it's not even really other guys getting brought up yeah and that's not (laughs) great we we do not feel super good about that so I guess the big question at linebacker is just depth I mean we kind of know what Colson is we're hopeful that he will be better than that we kind of know what Hill Green is we are hopeful that he will be a little bit better than that just or at least we know what their floors are basically yeah and so that's that's fine. That is what it is. I do expect them to improve just because that's what happens when people do something for longer in yeah. general. But, man, behind them, it's, it's dicey. Yeah. I should talk a little bit about the defensive backs. I am very comfortable with the defensive backs. I will say this. I'm very comfortable with the safeties and the corners. We can start with the safeties. But in general, like – this is a position group I feel pretty solid about. And that feels like a for the first time in a long time kind of thing too, a little bit like the defensive tech. Like, it's weird. I feel like all of my... It's all kind of flipped on. It's all flipped, right? Because it was for a while it was like, okay, you had Devin Bush and then you had really great defensive ends, but like the corners were bad and the defensive tackles were bad. And now it feels like the opposite. Like everything is turned a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's also kind of weird because in the secondary we've lost at least nominally three starters right in Dax Hill Brad Hawkins and Vincent Gray and yet (laughs) I also feel entirely comfortable about this Um, we'll start with the safeties I think from what we saw last year of RJ Moten and Rod Moore both of whom were basically I love Rod Moore Rod Moore he's got that dog in him I love him I just the quote Harbaugh gave to John Jansen, he was on in the trenches like a couple weeks ago, like the first week of fall camp. And he said something like they give the players iPads that for however they do it, I don't know, can track how much film they're watching. And that Rod Moore watched the most film and twice as much as like the next highest player. And Harbaugh was like, who does this guy think he is? Like, is he really going to play? Like, we're very deep at safety. And it was like, nah, he was going to play. And I love that for him. And not only did he obviously, like, not only is he obviously very committed in that regard, but, like, I mean, he was a three-star recruit, and we saw him out there against Ohio State making multiple impressive open-field tackles against Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. I mean, that dude's got ability as a safety. And I think, like I was just saying, like we saw last year from both R.J. Moten and Rod Moore, um, you have to feel pretty good about the safety spots. And that's, I haven't even mentioned yet the fact that Harbaugh keeps bringing up Makari Page as the first name out of his mouth when he's talking about the safeties. And what I've heard from practice reports is that Page is running with the ones. It's been, I think, Page and R.J. Moten as kind of the primary starters at safety. We didn't really see much of Page last year. I think he had two tackles last year, not a ton of playing time. He'd kind of, I think, slipped a little bit off the depth chart. But he also, like Moten, was a pretty highly rated recruit when he came in. And so to have him apparently taking a big leap maybe ahead of Rod Moore that makes me feel like it's in a pretty good spot in the sense that you've got apparently three guys there for two spots and it gives you a lot of flexibility in that part of the reason Moten and Moore were getting so much playing time last year is Dax Hill slid down and played nickel most of the year because he was such a good athlete and I think that's probably what you do with Rod Moore if Macari Page has taken such a step forward that Page and Moten look like the two best options at the true safety spots so you get all three of those guys on the field and probably strengthen your nickel spot pretty significantly by using more there. 
strengthen it as it compares to what it would have otherwise been this year, not relative to Dax Hill. I don't suspect that Rod Moore will be an improvement on Dax Hill. That would be pretty bold. No, probably not. But <laughs> but, but yes, I think that's you right. You strengthen it relative and, to your alternatives. And that's, I mean, because the alternative really that people have been talking about the most is Mike Sanistrell. And right. that's kind of strange. Like, I think initially we were all like, Oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Seemed a little iffy that you're, you're. On the one hand, I didn't think it was that iffy, just because like that receivers room is so damn crowded that like yeah, having to, to move, move one of those versus. guys over, like it, it it totally checked out to me and didn't necessarily scream like, oh no, we don't have anybody to play nickel. But they kind of didn't have anybody to play nickel, and now it looks like they probably do, and right. all of that feels like strength in the safeties generally. I, I feel pretty good about that. Agreed. Yeah, it wasn't so much that they moved Sane Ristol from receiver to defensive back. I thought, like, okay, as a depth move, that makes sense. They've just got so many receivers as a guy who played DB in high school. like. But then they were like, oh, he's going to start at nickel. And we were like, mm, right. about that. And when you thought about it and you were like, uh, there's not a lot of other great options, at least right now. You know, maybe Will Johnson pops up at corner and we'll come back to that. But, um, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a little concerning hearing that you moved a guy from receiver who hadn't played corner since high school, and all of a sudden he might be your starting nickel. So having another option there in Rod Moore, who looked pretty good in a Dax Hill-like role last year, um, that just makes me feel entirely confident in, I think, both of the safety spots and the nickel, regardless of how it shakes out from a playing time standpoint. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm happy with the safeties, and I'm happy with the corners, too. I think I, mean, I jumped ahead, but like there are even more people on safety, too. Like, I mean, Keon Sab, people were talking about super highly rated. Yeah, it and Zeke Berry. They had a really impressive safety class. So they've got, I think, similar to what you were talking about earlier with the defensive tackle position, it's a spot where you probably don't want those guys playing a lot this year, but when you look at it two or three years down the road, once the current guys have done whatever they're going to do, <laughs> you feel pretty confident about the long-term outlook there. And you probably start seeing glimpses of those guys this year with um, – you know, some of the early season games, uh, hopefully preserving some of the red shirts there in a strategic way. But um, yeah, that, that position's really well, I think, set up for the next few years. Yeah, totally. Want to do corners? Yeah, let's talk about the corners. Okay. So I think the big question at corner is if slash when, depending on your point of view, uh, Will Johnson takes over one of those spots. Because everything that we're hearing about Will Johnson is that he is the bona fide five-star that everybody expects him to be. He's, you know, too good not to play. He will be there. And I think a lot of people are expecting him to seize one of the corner spots by late in the season. I think DJ Turner has got one pretty much on lock. It's really just the other one. Yeah, and I want to say that I'm a pretty big DJ Turner fan. I think he would be the other guy in the conversation with Mozzie Smith, at least from what I've seen thus far, who I would argue is maybe Michigan's best defensive player. I mean, and both of those guys got taken to media day on behalf of the team, so they're obviously, like, I think considered leaders on the defense or, or something of that nature. So, like... yeah. I guess I just feel like he's a little bit underrated where people talk about him and like, oh, yeah, he's solid, I guess, he's fine. But if you look at like Pro Football Focus or even the MGO blog UFR charting, he is outstanding in coverage, like maybe the best cover corner in the Big Ten. And that's something that, I mean, Michigan hasn't had one of those in a few years, <laughs> certainly. And David Long or Jordan Lewis, like right. it's been a minute, I feel like. Right. I mean, Turner is an excellent cover corner. And I think if he just kind of continues on that track from what we've already seen, he's a guy who could be in the conversation for first-round draft pick. I mean, we've heard Harbaugh talking about him running maybe a sub-4-3-40. He and Roman Wilson apparently are the two fastest guys on the team. And we know Roman Wilson can fly. Roman so Wilson Turner was is, dusting Georgia dudes. Right. Like, Roman Wilson is fucking fast. Yeah, and if DJ Turner is on that tier, I mean, he's got, I think, all the pieces you need to be a really excellent corner. I expect he and maybe Joey Porter Jr. at Penn State are going to be the two best corners in the Big Ten this year unless somebody else pops up. So I'm pretty excited about DJ Turner, and I think that spot's in really good shape no matter what happens on the other side. And then, like you mentioned on the other side, it's really about Will Johnson and kind of how fast he rises. But I actually also think Jemin Green is a pretty solid player. I think he was good in 2020, maybe the only good thing in the secondary in 2020 when everything was a disaster. Um, What's 2020? Yeah, we'll just kind of pretend that that didn't happen, but... um, I feel like I have vague recollections of Gemin Green being good. So last year, he and Vincent Gray kind of 
went back and forth and gray ended up edging him out from a playing time standpoint but i think a lot of that was the switch to his own defense and that being a much better fit for gray whereas green has been i think a pretty good man coverage guy but seemed like he wasn't quite as adept at figuring out the switch to zone but i think when you've got the physical ability and with another year of learning it that's a spot that i would feel entirely fine with even if will johnson wasn't there another spot where i think we can say that there's like a pretty high floor a pretty high floor has to be like the tagline of this podcast (laughs) we need to change it it's not always college football saturday it's like this podcast has a high floor like literally the other day my friend was messaging me she was like you guys need merch and I was like no we don't but like who's gonna wear that like my mom um but she like literally she made like a pocket tee and then on the back was like it said like it has a very high floor it had some like sort of quote that was like related to having a very high floor right I think it was about the offense because we mentioned that last time with just there's so much of the offense that you know We've already seen it be like pretty good, and there's kind of a that needs to be the tagline. That's our pod. This podcast has a very high floor. All right, we'll go with it. I'll uh, I'll add it to the the graphic. We're gonna change Um, the Twitter bio. Um, yeah, I mean, Jemin Green. I think worst case scenario, you have him there as the starter who is solid to above average. Best case scenario is Will Johnson is a young Charles Woodson, and by late in his freshman year, he is he's kind of coming into his own as a lockdown corner. And, uh, I mean, if you have that on one side and DJ Turner on the other, this could be Having a really Woodson good Having Woodson would slap. Yes, it would. I'm going to go <laughs> yes, ahead and, and make the very, very That's, bold, yeah. very controversial statement that having Charles Woodson would slap. I would be fully in favor of that in case there was any question. It was a very brave thing for me to say. <laughs> But no, I mean, I think that's right. And we're all looking forward to seeing how he progresses. He's going to play. We know he's going to play. And so, yeah, I mean, not a lot of question marks at corner, which I feel like I am saying for the first time since 2016, 2017. Like David Long and Lavert Hill, I think, were the last time yeah. I was very comfortable with a duo of Michigan corners. And I am feeling very comfortable with a duo of Michigan corners again. So it's been about five years. Agreed. And you know, we're happy to to report that that is the case, right? I would also say that if that comes to fruition where Will Johnson ends up kind of overtaking Jemin Green and becoming a maybe not a true lockdown corner as a freshman, but somebody who like is a, you know, a clear starter, that gives them even more flexibility, kind of back to the point I was talking about before where DJ Turner could slide inside and play nickel as kind of more of the Levert Hill type nickel corner versus the Rod Moore type safety nickel guy. And so I just think that when you've got, you know, three plus guys at each of those spots, um, again, including Mikey Sainer still, who it sounds like was, you know, very competent in that role throughout spring and and into early fall camp, it just gives you a lot of options. And I'm confident that no matter what they piece together, it's going to be a pretty good set at both safety and corner. So I feel pretty good about it. So do I. Cosine. All right, so I think there's a couple overarching questions that we wanted to talk through on the defense. Um, Again, these are less position-specific and more kind of collective. And the first one is very similar to the question we asked about the offense, which is just we've got a coordinator change, right? Mike McDonald out, Jesse Minter in. We kind of expect that the defense is going to take at least a minor step back overall from a personnel standpoint, from not having Hutchinson, Ojabo, Dax Hill, the personnel losses are significant. But with the coordinator change, is there an additional incremental step back just from basically transition costs? I don't think so. I think Minter and McDonald were 1A and 1B for who Harbaugh was going to hire last year, so they share a defensive philosophy and system. Mm-hmm. I mean, same coaching tree, all of that kind of stuff. So I don't really... And, you know, Minter in some ways more experienced than McDonald. I mean, he's at least called plays on the defense before. Oh, for sure. He's got, I think, six or seven years of defensive coordinator experience. Not really high level. A lot more than Mike McDonald could say last year. And so from that perspective, plus, like, coupled with having two years in a system instead of one, 
And a system that, like, by all accounts is complicated. I think it's a more complex defense than what Don Brown was running. Well, right. I mean, especially from a coverage standpoint, a lot of what you're trying to do is make it hard to figure out as a quarterback where guys are dropping into certain zones and just do different things based on how offenses are aligning and what you expect them to do. So it's less straightforward, and that does mean more learning time, which you would hope that, like you said, in the second year now, even with some of the personnel losses, everybody else being more familiar will help to offset some of that. Yeah, I'm thinking that experience in the system and time in the system will offset any potential drawback that is related to the coaching change itself. I don't think, however, that having two years in the system is going to offset personnel losses and the impact of losing Aiden Hutchinson, David Ojabo, Dex Hill, Josh Ross, very, very experienced, very good players. That, to me, is far more concerning than any transition costs associated with the coordinator change. Yeah, I think that's fair. I'm not particularly concerned about it either, given all the things you just mentioned, that Minter and McDonald were on the Ravens staff concurrently for, I think, either three or four years together, obviously learning kind of the same general concepts. And it's pretty clear that with them being the finalists for the job last year, they must have similar mentalities about how they want to run things, and that must be aligned with the way that Harbaugh wants to run things. So... I don't think things will look a lot different in that regard. And I do I do feel some kind of comfort from the play calling component. I talked about how that was a concern of mine on the offensive side. And with Minter having called plays, um, he did it at Indiana State, then at Georgia State for a few years, including one year where he was a uh, nominee for the Broyles Award. And then last year at Vanderbilt, which Vanderbilt's defense wasn't very good, but also he basically has admitted that they had to do a lot of things that weren't ideal because you're Vanderbilt and you're playing against SEC talent and that is an extremely disadvantageous situation where you just kind of have to do a lot of basically suboptimal things to try to keep your head above water. Um, Yeah I mean I think the most you can expect from a Vanderbilt defense is treading water against SEC offenses. Sorry. I'm not going to read too much into what he was electing to call at Vanderbilt with like Northwestern level recruiting and athletes like I just it doesn't mean that much to me. Right. But with, you know, six years of play calling experience, including one in the SEC, kind of working his way up, I, I do feel like he probably has a pretty good grasp of things. Um, the one thing I'm curious to see is just thinking back last year, kind of the middle portion of the season, as teams saw a little bit of film against us and were able to do some things. I'm thinking of the Nebraska game, the Michigan State game. I do think linebacker play was a culprit in those games. But I also think we had some issues getting play calls in. Um, We had some issues getting lined up. We had some kind of systemic challenges that worked themselves out in general over the course of the year. And I think some of that was Mike McDonald learning as a play caller. And some of that, I I think, will be negated by Jesse Minter having that experience. But there's also just the improvement component where as all those things came together into what they were by the Ohio State game, a lot of that, I think, was Mike McDonald figuring out what he had talent-wise and how to make it work and that was really impressive and whether Minter can do that again this year with a different set of players including a few missing you know first round difference makers that McDonald could lean on to to cover up some holes last year that's the question for me is I think the defense takes a step back overall but can it improve so that by the end of the season we're not talking about shit can we hold Ohio State under 40 (laughs) yeah I mean I can't believe I haven't brought this up yet but Harbaugh gave like an absolutely batshit quote about the defense that like I mean all we've talked about on this whole podcast is how what we're going to do to mitigate personnel losses and this guy gets on in the trenches and says I think the edge is better than it was he said edge pressure specifically He thinks the edge pressure is better right now than it was at the same point in fall camp in the prior year. And I just cannot possibly believe that. Like, I'm struggling really hard to believe that. Like, I understand that David Ojabo wasn't really a thing yet at this point last year. But, man, I just... Let's be realistic here. (laughs) The edge pressure is very unlikely to be better. Yeah, I mean... Unless they're doing some really, really interesting things to bring it from other parts of the field, you know, like we're getting linebacker blitzes or corner blitzes or whatever. But I still, I mean, like, 
that's not going to replace Aiden Hutchinson. I don't no. believe that. I cannot possibly. You cannot convince me that that's true. No, no, it's, it's not going to be true. And I, I guess I'll just interject here with what I have for question number two, the other key overarching question, which is just how do you replace that? Uh, you mentioned it earlier, 25 sacks between Hutchinson and Ojabo. And what we have coming back collectively is seven. We just have not seen anybody who can Rough. approach that level. And even if you get a step forward from Mike Morris, let's say, he gives you five or six. Um, you know, maybe somebody, uh, maybe it's TJ Guy or Derek Moore, or maybe, you know, Taylor Upshaw kind of puts it a little bit together and you get collectively another five or six from that group. You're not going to have 25 from the edge guys again. And you're going to have to figure out a way to replicate that using different combinations. I think it's probably going to be, like you said, a lot of linebacker blitzing. Junior Colson's actually a very good blitzer. We did see that from him last year. He's got that burst and ability to uh, identify what's going on in front of him and get into the backfield. And so I think that will be a role where he's going to step in and be asked to pick up some of that slack. And the hope is that, as we were talking about a minute ago, with everybody being more familiar with the defense and where to be, that allows you to do a lot of different things where if you can confuse the quarterback for half a second or a second as you've got guys moving around zone blitzes that can be the way that you offset not having a Hutchinson or Ojabo getting into the backfield on their own in two and a half or three seconds you just try to essentially manufacture that with confusion rather than pure skill from your ends yeah I'm not sure that they're going to be able to do that and frankly the idea of them doing that stresses me out because I'm just thinking about the fact that that is necessarily going to leave open spots on the field yeah. that people like, I don't know, C.J. Stroud probably have the ability to take advantage of. I'm a little concerned that it is going to work tremendously on younger, worse quarterbacks, people that are easier to confuse and isn't going to work at all against the cream of the crop that we see in quarterback play. Well, the good news is there's only there's one only CJ one of those on the schedule. Yeah, but like, come on, man! Like, that's what this is about, right? It's about beating that team, and yeah. like, I'm not sure that without the organic pass rush that we can do that again. Because I think Stroud will be better. I think Stroud did look a little, and not to say, I mean, Stroud looked bamboozled as fuck at points of bamboozled. That's a good word. He did. He really did. He looked confused. Yeah. And, like, just shook, like, fumbling the ball and having it bounce off of his feet. And, of course, Ohio State recovers it every time because they're, the, like, second luckiest team known to mankind behind only Michigan State. Correct. So, like, he did. Like, he had these moments where he looked discombobulated. He looked like a quarterback who, like... Discombobulated and bamboozled. I'm I'm pulling out all of the confusion the words. Here. But, like, you know what I mean? And so I kind of feel like he will improve and he won't be that guy anymore. Um, I think the simulating edge pressure thing from other places might have worked on him a year ago, and now I kind of feel like they know. I, I don't know. We're going to see. This well, is going really to be a fascinating chess match. Yeah. No, I'm saying I think it might have worked last year, even if they had to do it. Oh, like, right. yeah. Take Hutchinson and Ojabo off of last year's team and confuse CJ Stroud. I think that might have worked. But I just – the chess match continues, right? right. Like, they're going to be – preparing for this oh of course yeah and I, I tend to agree that that's it's probably a way that you can close some of the gap but it does expose you to other things and in that regard you're going to have to see a step forward in coverage ability from um, you know if you're blitzing junior Colson a lot Nikai Hill Green has to step up in that way and, and do more in terms of covering tight ends or you know playing that zone in the middle of the field or you know your corners I, I think corners are an area where you will see a step forward and so that's going to help again where marginal improvement elsewhere is going to help offset that to some extent is it going to offset it entirely no probably not and so I think on the whole you know I'm looking at the defense and saying okay defensive tackle probably equal to or slightly better than last year right Mozzie takes probably a little bit of a step forward Chris Jenkins is about the equivalent of Chris Hinton that spot's fine Linebacker, probably a little bit better than last year. You've got Colson and Hill Green back. I think the step forward there, you would hope, offsets the loss of Josh Ross, and you have something that, again, is at least as good or slightly better. Safety is a little bit harder to say, 
I think we feel good about it. But again, losing Hawkins and Dax Hill, your probably best case scenario there is that it's about equal to last year. Corner, I think, is the one spot that looks definitively better, whereas defensive end looks definitively worse. And so it kind of is a, a weighting of those two things as far as how much of a drop-off you see overall. Right, and can the corners take a big enough step forward right. to kind of try to offset some of the, I think, very obvious step back that we're going to get from the ends, and that's an open question. Right. I don't think it's very likely that Michigan has a defense as successful as the one that it put out on the field last year. Yeah, realistically, I think that's uh, probably right. I mean, we finished, I believe, eighth in SP Plus last year defensively, which was an incredible turnaround from where things looked to be going into the season and when we were struggling to find a defensive coordinator and Jim Harbaugh was seeking recommendations <laughs> slash people who would be willing to take the job. I think a step back is almost certain, barring Jesse Minner being a genius. Uh, <laughs> and maybe even if that's the case. What do you think? I, I would suspect somewhere in the range of like between 15 and 20, which I is still I was literally going good. to pick 17. All right, so we're on the same page. So here. like actually dead ass between 15 and 20. We're consistent here. I think that's reasonable. You're going to have a minor step back that, uh, you know, it's just a result of Hutchinson and Ojabo and not being able to replicate that without opening up some weaknesses elsewhere. But I think with the pieces you have, which, you know, most of the position groups we just went through and we said we kind of expect it'll be about as good as last year or maybe slightly better, it's not going to be a major drop-off. So I think that's where we're at. Agree. I think we should uh, spend a couple minutes at least on special teams. The special teams are good. That's my take. Special teams are, are Analysis. Very good. I mean, at least the kicking game. We've got uh, Groza Award winner Jake Moody coming back after he went 23 of 25 last year. No reason to think that he's going to be anything other than one of the best kickers in the country again, barring really weird college kickers things. Yeah, he'd have to get, like, the yips. Yeah, Money like Moody. Like, sometimes kickers just get the yips. You they know? do, yeah. But I'm counting on Money Moody uh, being back in the fold here in 2022. And then Brad Robbins, who was one of the best punters in the country, um, didn't quite reach the same level of accolades that Jake Moody did, but outstanding punter, distance height, not a ton of returns against him. Jay Harbaugh is the most underrated coach on the staff. Jay Harbaugh is the most underrated coach on the staff. Frankly, we're lucky we haven't lost him to a more... It's because everybody else thinks he's just a nepotism hire, and so they just keep overlooking him, which is the way I like it. Honestly, yeah. Allow them to... Honestly, I feel a little bad for Jay Harbaugh because it does feel like he should be able to have more opportunities. Maybe he just... Maybe he's like, nah, my dad's here... I vibe, my wife lives here, we've got kids, they get to hang out with their grandpa and their great-grandpa, and we just get to chill, and I don't want to leave. But, like, it does kind of feel like this is someone who, under normal circumstances, would be getting promotions. Yeah, I think Jay Harbaugh. Just like Brian Ferentz. (laughs) Yeah, those those are basically the same. (laughs) It's a miracle that guy's still at Iowa. Noted schematic expert, Brian Ferentz. Yeah, obviously, but he's he's sticking by dad. (laughs) Yeah. What do you think it would take to get Kirk Ferentz to fire Brian Ferentz? Oh, God. I don't even You'd know if You'd have to go to a Black possible. Lives Matter protest. <laughs> oh, 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 no. Oh, no. People forgot about that shit Kirk Ferentz pulled last year. Like, I don't know how they got away with that, actually. <laughs> I'm here for the zingers. Oh, boy. Uh, where were we? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just making I'm just making jokes. <laughs> No, but I do think the special teams, we were, we were talking about Jay Harbaugh and how good he is at his job, and I think that's true. I think the special teams will be really good. The return game will be really interesting. I'm, I'm curious to see who they put out there after what happened yeah. to Ronnie Bell last year. Yeah, I think it was mostly uh, it was mostly A.J. Henning last year in the return game, right? I guess uh, Blake Corum. He wasn't great at it, though. Henning wasn't great in the return game. No, he was okay. I think he was about average as a punt returner. Um, the kick return game actually was probably the weakest spot. We were pretty consistently getting stopped inside the 25, and by the latter part of the year, I was like, just don't return. Just take the touchback and take it to the 25 because, yeah, in general, we were losing three to five yards per return. So that's the one area I would like to see improvement. But with the options they have, I mean, I, I kind of don't think they're going to put Ronnie Bell back out there, given that I think you want Ronnie Bell to not have the risk of what happened to him a year ago but you can roll AJ Henning back out there and with a year on the roll you might see him take a step forward and break a couple you could put Roman Wilson out there I mean you've got so many options at receiver that I think you can find a guy who's an unbelievable athlete and say if this guy can break a couple as a return man that's worth taking the shot of having him back there 
I hope it's not Blake Corum, honestly. I think he's too critical in the offense this year. Absolutely the fuck not. He was the leading kick returner last year. If you're going to put your RB1 back there, no way. I would be mad. I would be very mad. Just because that's like an incredibly injury-prone like spot on the field. I mean, so much of the recent like recent rule changes have been designed to eliminate essentially the return. I mean, in like 2018, right, right they changed the rule that if you like fair catch and they'll just bring it out to the 25 yeah. for you. And I remember that because I was at Notre Dame Stadium for our opener that season and a Notre Dame player like did that. They like fair caught a ball like at the I don't know 10 or something and people were like why would you do that they're all like screaming like the Notre Dame fans around me are screaming their faces off they're furious and I was like they changed the rule they changed the rule and all of them are dismissing me they're like what does this bitch know and I was like they changed the rule and and then like five seconds later the stadium announcer was like a rule change over the NCAA football last season and the ball will be brought out to and I was like I just, like, death glared. Huh, turns out you knew what you were talking about. I death glared at everybody around me. Like, I was mad. Um, but, right, the whole point, like, the point of those rule changes is because they understand that that's a position that leaves players really vulnerable and susceptible to injury. And that's one of the things they're trying to eliminate to make the game safer. And if you, honest to God, put your starting running back back there, I'm going to be mad. You have a bunch of fast dudes. There's no reason to do this. Yeah. My guess is that it'll be A.J. Henning who I think will have a much more marginal role at receiver, probably. It's very much up in the air, I think, how the receiver rotation shakes out, but he'll have a much more marginal role at receiver than I would expect Blake Corum to have as kind of the core of the offense. So, yeah, I'm I'm hoping Blake Corum isn't in that position and that it's some combination of A.J. Henning or, you know, they've also got a couple of freshman receivers who we've talked about a little bit. Um, They've got plenty of athletes there who are, I think, a little bit more... I hate to say dispensable, but an injury would be less catastrophic than it would be for Blake Corum. So hopefully it's some combination of, um, you know, high upside guys who can maybe break a couple big ones and honestly just taking more of the fair catches and taking it at the 25. If the offense is as efficient as it was last year or is as good as we think it might be, like just don't do anything stupid. There's no reason to do that. So that's the one area I would like to see a little bit of improvement, but the kicking game, um, which is obviously the big part of it, is probably going to be the best in the country all around. I don't think there's a a school anywhere that has a combo better than Moody and Robbins, so that's nice. Yeah, definitely. I love that. Money Moody. Money Moody. We've been going on for a while, I suspect. So if you're still listening after, I don't know, like an hour and 20 minutes or however long (laughs) this is, we appreciate it. And... You will hear from us next week when it will be football eve. That's right. Next week we've got actual football, including actual Big Ten football. So I think we're going to do a little bit of a general college football preview slash prediction podcast. That's right. In the days leading up to Michigan's Michigan's first game, we will have our official game by game or overarching. What do we think? How do we feel? What's the prediction? Um, So we'll get that out in the days leading up to uh, September 3rd. That's exactly right. And with that, thank you for listening, and we'll see you back next week.